This episode of a Quick Timeout podcast is presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Baylor, Florida, and countless others and upgrade to Dr. Dish. And now save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Timeout podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. Great to have with us today, Coach Kara Consuegra, head women's basketball coach for the Charlotte 49ers. Coach, welcome. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, coaches who aren't aren't from down here in the southeast, they may not know this, but uh, Coach Consuegra and her 49er program coming off really a fantastic year. Uh, there's the, the Conference USA Coach of the Year Award, a regular season and conference title, um, and then all of that culminated with an appearance in the NCAA tournament, the first I believe since 2009, and that was before you were there. I did follow your team's run last year through your Twitter account, and uh, and just so that we're clear, like it wasn't like your team was terrible and you finally broke through. But you know that's quite a that's a hall of accomplishments. What did that run and the 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 tournament appearance and everything else that went along with it? What did that mean for you personally and to? In, in regards to like what you've built there and what you all have built there at Charlotte? Well, I think for me, honestly, it was really validating. I feel like we've had a really great program. You know, we've been close and, you know, for whatever reasons, I mean, you know how hard it is. It's so hard to win. And sometimes it can just be bad luck. It's one injury. It's one player leaving. Um, and it's just has felt like we had been building and we were close, but we had, you know, that one thing that just kind of, tripped us up and you know every year I think like every coach I'm evaluating after the season like how can we close this gap we're so close and you know I always felt like well we're I feel like we're doing things the right way um we we operate our program on our core values and you know we're building leaders and you know we're building our kids up and I mean we're not perfect but we just felt like we were doing things really right and at some point we would just break through and so I think that's really finally what happened. We, we stayed injury free. It was the first time that I can remember in my 11 years going into the conference tournament healthy, uh, which makes a huge difference, obviously. And, you know, we just were, it just really validated everything that we were doing. And I think, you know, that was maybe the the coolest part of it. So many moving parts. And I think even for, for high school coaches, something not understanding is like how long the college season is. And even with those additional weeks, months, the injuries, like small injuries accumulate and just bringing things together at the end can be can be difficult, even when you feel like you have a great team going into it. You have in place, you mentioned your core values, and um, I know that's something that means a lot to you. Can you share what those are and kind of what you use to help communicate those to your players? Absolutely. When I was hired at Charlotte, I was 32 years old. I was one of the youngest head coaches in the country. And I just really had a passion, not just for basketball and winning, but for helping young people, young people grow. And I thought, okay, I need to build this program based on something more than just winning and losing. And so I came up with the mantra, play with heart. And heart, honestly, is who I am. You know, I'm, I'm the head coach. I'm leading this program. You know, I don't need to make everybody like me, but, you know, I'm setting the tone every single day. And so, you know, I thought about who am I on the inside and, you know, when I, when I was a player, everybody always talked about how I played with heart. And um, so I came up with that mantra and it stands for heart, effort, accountability, respect, and toughness. 
And, you know, that has become our mantra here at Charlotte. And, um, you know, again, I implemented it on day one. So, you know, everybody who's come through our program in the last 11 years, they, they know what it is, they know what it means. And I think, you know, with, of course, with any core value, it's like, how do you, how do you turn the mantra into something real life, uh, something tangible, something our players can understand. And we spend a lot of time, um, not just talking about what it means, but showing them what it means. And then also allowing now our players to have a say in what it means, if that makes sense. So, you know, I, for a long time it was, okay, this is hard and this is what I want. And then I decided, well, you know, the players are a big part of this program too. And what does heart mean to them? It might mean something a little bit different to you know, last year's 2020 championship team than it did to the year before. And so, you know, one of the, the big things that we do is at the pre start of start of a season is we have a couple, we call them heart sessions where we define what heart means and our players, they have to come with a list. We'll, we'll put up on a, we have this big whiteboard and we put, you know, players, what does heart mean? Um, celebrating our teammate, positive touches, uh, standard over feelings, um, you know, so on and so forth. And they, they have this huge list. And then we'll say as coaches, what we think it means, you know, some of them will be very similar. Some of them might be different. And then after we all go through heart, then we put in the middle us. Okay. And we take, you know, the list ends up being very long, right? And you can't expect players to remember. They need to remember a few things. What are these, you know, four, maybe five things that heart means. And we'll take, you know, five, four or five of the things that we really believe in together. And that is what heart means this year for this team. Um, and we do that for each one of our core values. Now it takes time. It's a, it's a pretty long, probably the longest meetings we have. I don't like to have a lot of long meetings, um, but now it, you get buy-in from your players and now they have a say in what heart means, effort means, you know, respect, accountability, all of that. Um, and so then when they're not doing it, you can say, look, y'all, you, you said we are, it, heart is we over me. And right now I can see your body language and it's about me. It's about me. And it makes a huge difference in the way that we are able to bring those core values to life. I've seen that the often the most memorable and almost the impactful are the small interactions rather than scheduling big, big ways to maybe communicate your your culture to to your players, or your core values to your players. I was wondering, as some of the things you were talking there, we talk a lot about tracking stats and analytics and that kind of thing. Do you track anything? that then holds them accountable to fulfilling your core values? Um, we do a little bit of tracking. Um, sometimes I think it's hard, right? Cause you have a manager doing it and mm -hmm. that manager might be there today, but he or she won't be there tomorrow. So then somebody else is doing it, you know, at our level, you know, we're of course fortunate to have a lot of personnel, but we don't have the number of coaches or staff people that a power five has. So, you know, we do track some things that are a little tangible, terms of diving on the floor for a loose ball, um, you know, getting a paint touch, you know, things that might describe toughness. Mm -hmm. um, but more so, I think one of the one of the cool things that we do after practice every day, um, non-negotiable after practice, we finish with shout outs and we're going to shout out um, individual players are going to shout, you know, each other out. They're going to shout coaches out. Coaches are going to shout folks out. And then after our shout outs, we do uh, what we call, we give out artifacts. And so we have these five little artifacts that are, you know, represent our core values. So a heart, we might have a little 
heart, beat heart. Um, toughness is a nail, um, you know, so on and so forth. And then we award artifacts. So we have, and it has to be specific. So that is one our, our rule. It can't just be like, hey, Tony showed a lot of heart today. Mm-hmm. No, it has to be very specific. Hey, I remember in our Dunk City drill, you know, so-and-so had her head down. She made it three mistakes in a row. And Tony ran over to her and gave her positive touches, lifted her up and encouraged her and really showed, you know, we over me and you give that player a heart. Um, And so that has probably been the best thing we do. And just to see our kids, you know, smile when they get that, they know it's something specific that ties into our core values. Coaches do a lot of it, but I, every year I really try to encourage our players to, to give artifacts for each other. Of course, it's hard. They're in practice. They're thinking about 50 million things. Yeah. But those are the real special ones when the players give out artifacts to each other. Um, I think that makes a huge difference. I would guess that that kind of keeps those things like closer to the top of mind, to your point. I mean, they have a lot of other things to think about. but And that's what I wanted to ask you about. Like, How does that translate into the, the actual basketball side of stuff? And you talked about like diving on the floor and that kind of thing. And I love the idea of artifacts. I've, I know coaches have done this for a long time, whether it's like a, a belt that they use for the weight room or whatever, something that they can almost like be proud of and show off that I won or accomplished today, that kind of thing. But how have you seen it translate to the basketball side of things, whether that's like how an individual performs or even how they, to your earlier point of how it became not you keeping them accountable to the culture, but them keeping each other accountable to the culture. How have you seen that and and where do you see that most often? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it absolutely carries over. And, you know, you always hear the old uh, adage that, you know, coach-led teams are, are good, but player-led teams are great. And I 100% agree with that, but I do think it's really hard to get to a point to have a completely player-led team. Um, but I think when you, um, you know, you take that time to understand what our values are, um, you allow them to have a buy-in in it. You are constantly pointing it out in practice, mostly positive, but certainly negative. I mean, I'll stop practice in a heartbeat when a ball is on the floor and nobody dove on it or nobody went with two hands or, um, you know, somebody throws a turnover and rolls their eyes at their teammate. I'll stop practice in a heartbeat and point it out. You know, not not in a, you know, it, I'm not necessarily raising my voice or yelling, just, hey, this is not what we said we were going to be as teammates and in our culture And then, you know, I think as you start to do that, then your leaders start to do that. Um, And now, like, we have a pretty much unspoken rule in practice that our players can call a huddle anytime in practice, anytime that they feel like, you know, things are getting out of control or they're not executing right or their attitude's not well. They always have to do is say, hey, Coach Kara, can we call a huddle? Yes, absolutely. Um, And that's been a really powerful thing to see them call a huddle. I don't give them long. I'll give them maybe 30 seconds. I don't think they need a lot more than that um, where they can correct themselves and they can get themselves re-navigated and on the same page. And almost every single time we have a huddle, they come out better. And that huddle is more productive than most huddles that I'm going to call because, you know, they're, they're correcting themselves and they're talking to each other. Um, And then of course, then that carries over to games, right? I'll call timeout. I'm talking to my coaches. I'm trying to come to the huddle. Sometimes, I get stopped by my players. Hey, we're, we're not ready for you, coach. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, well, I have some important things to say, but, you know, I think it's also, you know, what they say to each other is so important. And, you know, we've created an environment where that is welcome. 
Um, it is, they're empowered to do that and encouraged to do that. And then again, it carries, it carries over to everything. You'll hear players on the bench, you know, saying something about, you know, a, a loose ball before, before we have to say it, uh, because everybody is empowered uh, to be able to hold each other accountable to those things. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love huddle assist. With assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats, lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, assist brings your stats to life. Combined with the HD quality, automatically captured film from the Huddle Focus smart camera, every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com assist. That's huddle.com assist to find out more. Is basketball, some basketball specific things. You and I went back and forth and mm-hmm. offense is all the rage. I was going to talk offense, but, and your offense was good last year, but is it safe to say, am I miss, hopefully I'm not misspeaking here. What made you elite was the defensive side of the ball. Absolutely. Our offense was good because we had Octavia Jet Wilson, the best offensive player in the league and good pieces around her. It wasn't just her, you know, but at the end of the day, we knew if we needed a bucket, Octavia could get it. Uh, but yes, we we knew we could beat anybody in our league because defensively we were elite. Um, and that was anchored by Kiki McKinney, our defensive player of the year. But, you know, everybody bought in on the defensive side. And, and really the last few years, our team has been really, really good defensively. We've grown tremendously in that area. All right. So some of the stats led the league in, in blocks, kind of what you alluded to there, uh, field goal defense, defensive rebounding. I'm going to start from the back, from the end and go forward. And the last one that I thought was extremely impressive, holding teams to under 24% from the three-point line, mm-hmm. which at one point I saw was uh, like third in the country. Yep. <laughs> so I've found that you hold teams, you know, high 20s, low 30s. Maybe you're doing something. Maybe you're not defensively. <laughs> but when you're like in the low 20s, I'm I'm going to guess that there was a the, a very specific plan of action as a coaching staff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for us, to, everything our defense is built on is discipline. Um, we believe in making people have to score over us, and so, you know, sometimes it's hard, particularly when we get transfers who come in and, you know, they've been in a program where they're denying and mm-hmm. going for steals and going for deflections and things of that nature. Like that's that's not who we are. Our our philosophy is to keep you in front of us and make you have to score contested over us. Um, we have a couple of things that are non-negotiables in our defense. We're not giving up transition layups. So as long as you're not in foul trouble, if there's somebody that's open for a transition layup, you better chase her down and foul her before you give her that. So the next time it happens, she's thinking about you coming. We're not going to gamble. So we're going to keep, again, keep you in front of us and make you have to score over us. And we're not going to give up uncontested threes. You know, if your hands are down on a closeout, if you don't contest the three, you're likely coming out of the game, you know, and to me, like you can, you can make, you're going to make mistakes defensively. And obviously there's a whole lot more that goes into it, but very simply, no transition layups, no gambling, no wide open threes. And, you know, we found in the last few years that if we can stick to that, it's hard for teams to consistently score over us, you know, possession after possession after possession. I was watching some film of of you all this week, and 
I think maybe it was a couple years old. Did you do a lot of switching last year? Um, we did when the game plan called for it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I honestly don't really like to switch um, because I think players aren't elite enough as communicators to do it. Um, and I feel like, again, if you go th come, think back to our non-negotiables, we're not we're going to keep you in front of us. Mm -hmm. And I think when you switch, those breakdowns happen more frequently. Um, in fact, it was early in my coaching career. I actually used to switch a ton uh, early. And then I had a year and I can't remember the year where we lost like 10 games by eight points or less. I mean, mm -hmm. it was heartbreaking. Season could have gone the different way. So I went back and I watched all of those games, particularly the last five minutes of those games. And every time we had a defensive breakdown, it was on a switch, mm. you know, because we just didn't, you just, it's so hard to communicate it. So at that point on, I stopped switching. Now I will do it if the game plan calls for it. Marshall last year, what they ran, I, I remember specifically, like we had to switch. There, there was no way we were going to keep them out of the paint. They had too good of shooters. Um, so we switched against them. Uh, but typically we like to, to, you know, have that accountability to stay with our man, fight through and, and, and keep them in front of us. Let me relate it back to three point shooting, because again, as the game has changed, so many teams are reliant on that and the amount of three point attempts that they're mm -hmm. giving up. How do you, and specifically as teams are using screens on ball and off ball to create those either shot opportunities or like the next pass shot opportunities, what specifically techniques, whether it's, you know, staying connected to people or closeouts, like what are you emphasizing? And then what does that look like practice wise so that the players understand that this is important and we're repping it enough that they're they're actually good at it? Yeah, so we um, we start personnel really early. So personnel is is huge in terms of our defensive game plan. You know, our players might not know exactly how to play a set or you know, they might not be great at identifying what sets being run, like the way the coaches are, but they're sure going to know that they're guarding a Curry. So we use NBA, you know, names. Curry is obviously, you know, what's Steph Curry? He's the best shooter in the world ever. Um, and so we identify that, you know, number 22 is a Curry. Any Curry we are staying connected to. We're not leaving. We're not coming off. We're not helping. You know, we're not necessarily denying, but we are staying connected through any screen, one pass away, we are we are staying connected to that Curry, and we're going to make pretty much life miserable for her. It's going to be really hard for her to get catches. Um, then we have LeBron's, which is a somebody that can do it all. You know, three three level score. Um, you know, we we may come off of them a little bit more just because you know obviously they're not going to always catch and shoot it the way we identify a Curry to. But obviously, we're still pretty high alert on a LeBron. Um, and then you know we have a a Westbrook, which is a drive first. Then we have a Harden, which is a shoot first. And then last but not least, we have a Rondo. So somebody who doesn't shoot it from the perimeter, we're going to help off that person all day long. We're going to make them score. You know, so anytime a LeBron is driving, if you're on a Rondo, you better come off and bring two people to, to, to her and make her pitch it to that Rondo and see if she can make the shot. So we're, we're extreme personnel based and we start it super early. Like we'll, we'll start practice. We start classes next week here at Charlotte, the week after we'll start practice and we'll start, we'll start implementing personnel and, you know, anytime we're going against our practice guys, they always have personnel. So it's something that they're training and integrating from, you know, almost day one in the fall so that when we're in February and somebody gets subbed in or comes off injury and we didn't know who they were and we can quickly look at it and say, okay, this is a Curry. Y'all know how to play her player as a Curry. I would guess too, that by not switching, 
players are able to remember and stick with rather than when you switch creates that indecision and that kind of stuff and late close out and threes made. That is exactly right. And that is another reason why I don't want to switch. If, if I'm, if my assignment is a Rondo and I know I am the, the, the helper for the game, but suddenly I'm switching and now I'm on a Curry and now I'm on a LeBron and now I'm on a Westbrook, you know, how am it, it just, I mean, the, the most elite players, like they, it's really hard for them to know four different people they're supposed to guard mm -hmm. versus if we're not switching and I'm on the Rondo all game long, I have one responsibility that is to help keep my feet in the paint, show my chest, force pitches all game long. And there's, there's really no excuse as to why you shouldn't be able to do that. Um, so that is a great point Tony, and exactly another reason why I don't like the switch. Yeah, that's great. We talk a lot offensively about helping eliminate factors that will slow down their thinking. I don't know that we do that enough, maybe defensively, and that, that's a great way to do that. Obviously, if they're not making shots, it doesn't mean anything if you're giving up rebounds, but you guys were elite defensively. I asked this one time, maybe I'll have to edit this out of the podcast if you give me the same answer. <laughs> I asked one guy one time, he was like, well, we had the tallest, biggest, best player in the league, and he just grabbed all the, <laughs> all the rebounds. I was like, oh, okay, that's not really helpful, but... <laughs> Do you emphasize, I'm assuming it's a team-wide focus, and uh, what do you do to emphasize that and even how to drill that within or even reward it? I don't know if you award extra points or like what do you do to make sure that they understand that that's a priority and that they're actually good at it? Well, part of it, again, just goes straight to our defensive philosophy. We're going to keep you in front of us and make you score over us. And if we're doing that and we're not gambling, we should be in position to box you out every time right? Versus if you're gambling more, you're out of position, um, you're leaving, you know, your feet, you're flying some by somebody to contest them. You know, we leave our feet to contest only when the offensive player leaves her feet. But, you know, we shouldn't be running by her. We want to contest and stay in the play. And so if we're, we're doing those things, we should be in a position to box out and rebound. So I think it all starts with that. You know, early in the season, I'll do box out drills. But quite frankly, I just think you know, as the, as the season goes, you have to cut practice time. And that's something that I've, I've really paid attention to over the last couple of years. And I don't think doing a box out drill is the best use of my time after, you know, after you teach it and you do it a few times. So one of the things I do in practice, I give our players two things to focus on every day. Um, that's it. Those are the two things that they have to focus on. And early on, it's stuff that's building, building our defense. Like it might be, contesting high hands on a closeout, contesting a three-point shooter. We're not giving up open threes. Um, but typically when we get into game plan, a lot of it is rebounding. And so they know the only thing they're going to run for in practice that day, unless, you know, they really screw something up, is if they don't box out or they give consistently give up rebound. They're not going to run for anything else that day, but if they don't rebound, they are going to run. And honestly, Tony, I don't even make it. It's, it's a lot of times it's a half and back. That's it. Because again, I don't want to use all my time running. We have to prepare for this game. We have to keep our legs fresh. There's so many things you're trying to accomplish. And it might be as simple as give me a half and back your best effort because y'all just gave up, you know, an, a, a rebound or two rebounds in a row. You do that for a minute and a half. You know, that happens three times. And all of a sudden, you know what they're doing? They're coach. We need a huddle. We need a huddle. They call a huddle. You know, we're the one thing we have to focus on today, ladies, is boxing out. We're not doing it. Everybody needs to step it up. Boom, it changes just like that. And so just finding little ways like that to keep them, hold them accountable has been the best thing that we've done. How are your practices formed so that 
you are working on those things. Are you doing a lot of, do you play a lot? Do you do small games? Do you do a lot of five on no? How do you schedule it? And is that different maybe than how you started when you first started coaching? Yeah, definitely. Um, We play a lot now. That is not how I started coaching. I used to be probably like many other old school coaches, lots of drill work, a lot of five on O, a lot of really long practices. I mean, I used to practice three hours, two and a half. We'd be in February. I'm still going two and a half. You know, just you look back now, I'm like, God, I was dumb. <laughs> you know? But it's what I knew. It is who I am. You know, effort is part of our core values. Like we're not working hard enough type of stuff. And, um, you know, I started to change that philosophy a lot. Um, my strength coach here at Charlotte, Stacy Weaver, helped me a ton. We invested in catapult, you know, all the little things to be able to manage load and and learn more about that. And, you know, now, you know, we make things so much more simple. And, you know, I, I, a lot of it is I trust our players. Again, like, why are we doing box out drills in February? If we're if we can't box out in February, we're we're in a we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. We're we're in a lot of trouble at this point. So. Um, you know, I like to do a lot of playing. Um, in fact, again, you know, I just talked previously about running if they don't, you know, follow up on their one emphasis. But other than that, like the only times you run in our practice is if, you know, you 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 lose. So any, anything that's competitive, you lose, you're going to run. Um, or if you, you know, again, aren't, aren't being accountable to whatever we're supposed to be focusing on that day. Otherwise, all of our conditioning is done playing. Okay, whether we do three minute games, four minute games, five minute games, um, things of that nature, we'll kind of build it up. Uh, but everything is playing. Um, you know, I, I started doing a lot of um, uh, small sided games a few years ago. And so I love to integrate those into practice. We do those all summer long. Um, and then I also went away from I used to do a lot of block practice to now more random and interleaving. So, you know, we might break down and we're going to work on icing the ball screen, just two on two technique of our icing, things of that nature. Then our next drill, we're going to move to, um, you know, maybe a quick five on no repping our offense. Then we're going to come back and we're going to play a shell of ball screen offense against ball screen offense. And we're going to, you know, make sure we're icing the ball screens. And so I have loved going to that. Our players love it. You know, they, 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 they learn much faster. I totally agree on the research that I've read on that. Um, and it just makes practice flow so much better. You know, our players <laughs> back in the day, they'd be like, oh, defense, we're going to be doing this for 40 minutes. Like, you know, like after 20, they're just going through the motions. Nobody wants to play defense for 40 minutes. I don't either. Uh, we're now when we interleave it, like it's just the flow is so much better. They learn quicker. They enjoy it more. And then everything is a lot more competitive because we might have a drill, but then we're going to go to something competitive. Then we might drill again, but then we're going to go right back to something competitive. Um, I was looking at your roster and with COVID, we're all getting extra years of players and that kind of thing. And you have a lot of returners. How do you plan on managing having coming off just a fantastic year? How do you plan on managing maybe expectations from within and without uh, while also kind of looking to take that next step and how do you feel the girls are in taking that next step to winning a game or two in the tournament at least? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously winning last year was tremendous for us. And I talked earlier about how it validated us, but I think the biggest thing that I'm hoping we'll get out of this, and I think is still will remain to be seen is just, just confidence for our team. You know, again, I talked earlier about how we'd be really close, but something would happen and we wouldn't be able to finish the job. Well, the players feel that too. They know it too. It's not just, just us as coaches. 
And they would be in those situations again. We're like, oh, here it comes. Somebody went down with an injury. We're not going to be able to finish, you know, whatever it might be. So I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, now that we've done this, they'll have the confidence to be like, you know what, we can get this done regardless of the situation, regardless of what happens. We know how to close now. Um, and, and I have seen that some in the summer. You know, I think it's hard to tell until we really get into uh, more competitive, you know, in the summer. I don't want the summer to feel like November and December. So we try to have a lot more fun in the summer than we do maybe, you know, when we're preparing for games. Um but I, I think I think that's going to be a big thing. And Jada McMillan, our, our fifth year point guard, who's using her COVID year coming back, um, I think she's going to be the catalyst for for that for us. Her her and Michaela Boykin. I mean, those are our two best returners, two of the best players in Conference USA. And I think if they can carry over that confidence to know, hey, we can get this done, uh, I think a lot of our kids will just kind of follow behind. So. You know, when we had our first summer workout, you know, the first thing I said to them is, hey, guys, you know, as of today, we're defending champions. We're not champions anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we are defending champions. But, you know, don't forget how hard it was. You know, our, it wasn't it's never easy to win a championship, mm -hmm. but ours was extremely difficult. I mean, we had to win four games in overtime. I think we had eight other games uh, where it was eight points or less. All of our conference tournament games were six points or less. I mean, it wasn't like we're just blowing people out. Um, and so it was extremely difficult. And I reminded our players of that. And Jada was the first one that said, oh, yeah, it was so hard. I'm like, don't forget that. It doesn't get easier just because we've done it now once. <laughs> so hopefully, um, you know, they'll be able to hold on to that. All right. Last thing I'll ask you for you personally or for your staff even, is there anything that you're looking to either implement or do differently this year than you did last year? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing we want to make a little tweaks offensively for us, um, you know, and some of it, again, was a, a byproduct of who we had, Octavia Jet Wilson, best player in the league. She's going to get a lot of touches, but I just felt like last year we were really stagnant offensively. You know, I've always liked to run ball screen action. You know, I like the two player game. I like, I just think it's hard to guard when you have really good players um, but we run it out of a, you know, a high ball screen set and we put players in the corner and it just, it provides the help, you know, when teams are good defensively, we're not moving enough. So, you know, we've, we've talked a lot this off season about how can we get just more movement for us offensively? I mean, teams are just too good. They're just too smart. Coaches are too smart. You know, they know how to game plan. They know how to help. Um, they know what your weaknesses are. Um, and we just can't all sit around and watch one player score. You know, we have to be better in terms of moving the ball and then moving, you know, if we have a ball screen happening, we need just to, again, hopefully create, um, you know, some issues for the defense in terms of where's the help coming from. If we're moving, where's the help coming from? So that's, that's really been the biggest thing that we've talked about uh, as a coaching staff in terms of, you know, how can we be a little bit harder to guard on the offensive end? Yeah, that's a big undertaking, but pair it with that defense, and you guys will be really tough, really tough. That's Coach Kara Consuega of the Charlotte 49ers. Coach, great stuff. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, Tony.